Good morning, church. I have a card here, Steve and Vivian, I believe it is, Raven. Nice to have you folks here worshiping with us. And if there are any other guests here today who have not had a chance to meet, we'd like to welcome you too. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, so please take a Bible. Acts chapter 16 is the one that we are going to go through today. So if you're using the Bible that's in the pew there, we're on page 1720-1720. Let's bow our heads. Gracious God, we, we look at men like Paul and Barnabas, Silas, Timothy, John Mark, and we're amazed, Lord, at their courage, their braveness, when Satan was throwing everything at them, it seemed, and, and yet they persevered for you. Lord, give us the same anointing that they had, the same commitment and dedication to you and your cause. Use us, Lord, to share good news of Jesus Christ with those around us. Bless us now as we open your word. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen. Okay, a little bit of background. We have, as we've worked our way through the book of Acts, we have seen Paul and Barnabas go on the first missionary journey. Today we're going to deal with the second missionary journey. So this is another trip. Uh, Karen has made a map for you so you can see a little bit where we're talking about. If you've been to Turkey in, in Europe, then you know pretty much where where they were. So they would take a boat and they would go to different places around the area of what we would today call Turkey. So if you turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16 and then keep your finger there and go to the end of 15 because that's where we need to pick it up. In verse 36 of chapter 15, it says, Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers and the sisters in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So it's one thing to preach the good news of Jesus Christ and sow the seed and see some shoots sprouting up, but there is also a need to nurture, to build up in the faith. And oftentimes, as we've mentioned before, they would try and choose elders to be able to do that. But maybe they, that was possible, but maybe not. So it would be hard, I believe, for many of these new converts, especially when we think of some of the Jewish agitators that were making life so hard wherever Paul uh, ministered. So anyway, they want to go back and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. John Mark was a relative of Barnabas's, but Paul did not think it wise to take him because John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now here I could really milk these texts and tell you what a hard job a pastor's job is. 
but I'm not going to do that because I don't really think it fits, except to say I do believe uh, in certain parts of the world today and certainly in the first century for Paul, Silas, Barnabas, it was tough ministry. Yes, they had tremendous fruitage because so many non-Jewish people were just waiting with bated breath to embrace Jesus. They needed to hear the good news, and many, many would respond. Not so. Not quite the same in the Jewish world. But nevertheless, it took a lot of courage, bravery, boldness to do the work that these men did. And we will see that as we move through chapter 16. The sad part is that these men had such a, a hot disagreement. So I hope my disagreements with you are of the mild type. This was not. This was pretty heated. And both sides had good points. Isn't that usually the case? And here Luke doesn't take sides. Doesn't say one was right and one was wrong. But he does say, that Paul chose Silas, went off with him, and Barnabas, the son of encouragement, would wrap his arm around John Mark and say, come on, let's go together. And John Mark, we know, and Barnabas too, I'm sure, reconciled with Paul later. So this is a story that is a heated disagreement that eventually ends up, well, John Mark became a blessing in the life of the Apostle Paul sometime later. But now instead of having one team of missionaries, we have how many? Two. You're good at mathematics. Two. Two teams. Paul and Silas, Barnabas and John Mark. So Barnabas kind of falls out of the picture here. I don't believe we hear about Barnabas anymore in the book of, of Acts. We do hear about John Mark later. Um, so the focus is on Paul and Silas. And Paul and Silas, it says in chapter 16, go to Derby and then Lystra. Now, can you remember Lystra? That was where Paul was stoned almost to death. So now he's going back to this little place, Lystra, that had really beat up on him bad. I don't know if I would do that. I think I still would be stinging from all of the, the stones that had beaten and bruised my body. I probably still have the scars from that. And maybe my brain would say, go do it. You need to go back there and check on the brethren. But my body would be saying, hey, I remember those rocks hitting me. But Paul didn't hesitate. At least it doesn't say that here. He went back to Lystra, and there was a disciple named Timothy who lived there. So when they were getting ready to bury this dead body of Paul, when he'd been stoned almost to death, probably Timothy was right there in that little group of believers. Now, what an introduction to ministry. That'll teach you lessons that seminary can never teach you. Here's this great leader in the church being left for dead. They're going to give me a spade to dig, dig a hole in the ground for this man. But of course, Paul wasn't killed. He dusted himself off, went back into Lystra, 
We've preached on that. We've seen that before. Now he's making his return visit and taking an interest in this young man, Timothy. But So both John Mark and Timothy would be young, young men who are being mentored by people like Paul, Silas, and Barnabas. And so they would travel around. Do you remember when we went through chapter 15? The Jerusalem council had said four things that we want the Gentiles to abstain from. Can you remember those four things? One of them was kind of obvious, fornication. They need to avoid that. Jews would be very offended, not only God, but Jews would be offended if these Gentile believers were out there fornicating. But there were also things with food, food that had been strangled, avoid that. Food that had been dedicated to idols, avoid that. Now, Paul has quite a bit of information on food offered to idols in the book of Corinthians, where he pretty much downplays the importance of that. But we're talking about Jewish sensitivity to these things. So if you don't want to harm your brother, just don't do it. Maybe it's, it's like circumcision. It's not a big thing or a little thing. It's just sometimes you just, just don't want to do it to upset people. Or you do want to do it to please people. So we find him circumcising Timothy. Who would have guessed that? After all the the fight that they'd had over the need of circumcision. But Paul will do what is needed to advance the gospel and to minimize Jewish prejudice against his message. And of course, also the Jerusalem Council said, avoid blood. So those of you that are flesh eaters here have, since my last sermon have made sure the food is koshered, right? Slit the throat of the animal, drain the blood, salt the animal, which brings out even more of the blood, and then says, ugh, this don't taste that great. I think I'll go vegetarian. Well, I don't think the Gentiles would think that, but the council of the Jerusalem council is now being spread by word of mouth. Paul, Silas, Barnabas, John Mark are spreading this message. And it says there in the Scripture, it says uh, in verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. If we have something we can agree on, instead of constantly fighting over it, Jew-Gentile, then the Gentiles are certainly encouraged by that, and they are strengthened by that. And of course, Jesus' prayer for unity is uh, being realized and minimizing the friction between Jew and Gentile. Now we go to verse 6 through 10. And the Scripture there says that Paul and Silas were not quite sure what direction to go. They knew that they were being called to strengthen the brethren, check on how well they're doing, preach the gospel wherever they would go. But sometimes you don't know which door to go through. Many of you can relate to that. You've come to points in your life where you know one door seems to be shut, and then hopefully another door will open. And the way that the door opened 
It says that the Holy Spirit stopped them. It doesn't say how he stopped them. Was that, was that a kind of feeling inside between Timothy, Paul, and Silas that they should just not go a certain way? Not quite sure about how the Holy Spirit stopped them. But we do know how the door was opened because Paul had a vision. And there was a man from Macedonia, which is to the left, on the map here saying, come on over and help us. We need the gospel too. That's the idea behind it. We need to hear the good news of Jesus. That's how people get saved, right? And so that's what Paul, Silas, and Timothy are committed to. And so they got read, get ready in verse 10 to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Verse 11, from Troas we put out to sea, we sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis, and from there we traveled to Philippi. So Philippi is the focus this morning, a Roman colony, a leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Now what we're going to see in the rest of the chapter are a number of conversions. The first one is with a lady whom we call Lydia. Now, the scholars are not really sure if this was her name, but we're going to call her Lydia, and she was a businesswoman. Any businesswomen out there? She was probably a very wealthy business lady. She had a good-sized household. In Philippi, the scholars tell us many of the the Roman soldiers would retire. So maybe this was a retirement center for Roman military. Who knows if Lydia's husband was once a military man. We just don't have that kind of information. If it was important to know, Luke would have told us. But here we have this, this lady who was very open. She, the Scripture says she was a worshiper of God, and she's very open to the message of Judaism. So think of what we learned about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, then apply it to this lady Lydia, somebody that is open, very open to the Jewish faith. So verse 13 says, on the Sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. No synagogue mentioned. Paul would always aim for the synagogue. That's where he would find Jews and Gentiles open to Judaism. So these are people that God had already worked on their heart in the sense that they're keeping the Sabbath and they're worshiping and trying to do, do what, probably do what is right. So instead of that, Jew would head for the river. Maybe there were some ritual washings that were included in that. I'm not sure and it was a place for prayer, and for Paul and Silas and Timothy, a place to witness. We sat down and began to speak to the women who were gathered there. Ever wondered why there's more women than men in the church? Well, it goes right back to this verse here. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord did something to this woman. It's the most wonderful thing that can happen in anyone's life. What did the Lord do? Let's all say it together. What did the Lord do? He opened her heart. 
Has God opened your heart? I'd just been preaching to the Spanish over there, and I told them about a Jewish landlord that I had. I was renting from a Jewish landlord in Seattle, and he had a closed heart. At least that's the way it seemed to me. It seemed like this thing was cemented shut. But so some hearts are closed, some Jewish hearts are closed, and some hearts are opened. And I think that God opening the heart is a great way to think of somebody being saved. What does it mean that someone's been saved? Oh, God opens their heart. Yeah, I like that. It has a nice ring about it. It puts the focus on what God is doing. God is preparing the heart, right? We believe that. Holy Spirit is working, working, working in people, and then eventually gets them to the point to open their heart. Why? Because there is a preacher, there is a person who is sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And when that good news of Jesus Christ is shared, it needs a place to reside. And that's the open heart of this worshiper of God called Lydia. She responded to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. So, Here's this woman. We see something of her holiness. She's worshiping God. We see something of her heart. God is opening it. Now we're seeing something of her household. Are you prepared to use your house, your home, to God's glory? Because once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, everything is to be dedicated to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she says... In verse 15, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, is it possible but that by hearing the good news of Jesus Christ and trusting that, that in a matter of minutes, seconds, somebody can be brought into his kingdom? That's what we're reading here. And not just Lydia, the whole household. Wouldn't you like to witness to somebody and find that God is opening their heart, and not just their heart, but the whole family? Huh? Do you want to win people in ones, or do you want to bring them in in tens and twenties? Didn't we see the same with Cornelius? It wasn't just Cornelius. Yes, he was a godly, dedicated man, a good role model for the whole household, but the whole household responded. That probably meant wife, children, servants, all responding. It's not unusual to find that in Scripture. Come and stay at my house, she said, and she persuaded us. And we see something of the tenacity of this woman. Paul, Silas, Timothy, come and stay. No, 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 we have other plans. This woman would not give up easily. Probably why she's a successful businesswoman. And they responded. By the way, we find that after Paul and Silas were thrown into prison and abused terribly, we find in verse 40 that again, they went back to Lydia's home. So we see something of the quality of this woman who probably was the first convert in Europe that we are aware of. 
We see her holiness, her hearing, one of them, of those was listening. We see her heart, we see her household, and eventually we see her hospitality. Which, by the way, if you have that gift, is a great gift of God. All right, so there's one of our three conversions this morning. Now, we pick it up in verse 16. Once we were going to the place of prayer, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. So here's this young slave girl possessed of an evil spirit, I would imagine, as she's predicting the future and she's making a fortune for the owners of her. And what is she saying? She's saying in verse 17, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Is there anything wrong with that? Is that not a pretty good message? So why would an evil spirit give us a pretty good message? What's Satan up to? That wily, tricky foe, what's he up to? Maybe he's trying to give people the impression that this evil fortune-telling spirit is part of the Christian message. Luke really doesn't spell it out, does he? But we know that Paul said, enough's enough. She kept this up for many days, verse 18. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. So one Spirit goes out, and I believe that another Spirit came in. Because the way that this is sandwiched between the conversion of Lydia and the conversion of the Philippian jailer, the impression that Luke is leaving here is that this woman is now in her right mind and becomes a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to make the slave girl our second convert in chapter 16. However, do you remember when those pigs ran off the cliff and were killed? Were their owners happy or sad? Pretty upset, don't you think? This young lady who's making you a fortune, if you're her owner, happy or sad? See, it really doesn't matter that she's in her right mind and she's believing and probably praising God and just thinks the world of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Our business has just dried up. Bad news. And so it says in verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and they said, these men are Jews. Remember, this is primarily non-Jewish territory. We're talking about Gentile territory. They are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, Judaism 
was an accepted religion by the Romans. Christianity was not at this point in time. So this had the potential to be really, really bad for this little group of believers there in Philippi. Well, the Scripture says the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. Wait, hold on here. Where's the trial? Where's the examination? You can't just do this to Roman citizens like Paul. And after they had severely flogged them, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully upon receiving such orders. These were special orders. You better listen. Don't get this one wrong. He put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in the stocks. So here's what I'm imagining. Their back is raw. They've been whipped with leather with probably little pieces of bone in it, and they're really, really bloody and hurting. Then they're fastened into the most safest place in the prison, probably right in the inner prison where it's cold, dark, and they're, they're paining in their body, and then they're shackled in a way that probably was making it more difficult for them. The jailer has, knows if they escape, your life for their life. That's kind of the, the situation, pretty serious situation here. And Paul and Silas are just grumbling so badly that they've been so mistreated. All their rights have been abused, and we're going to have a pity party. What does it say? Verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So you thought you could just do that Sabbath morning, didn't you? No. You have my permission to go into the prisons at midnight and do this on the Word of God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. I think I once preached a sermon on this called Jailhouse Rock. Any of you remember that? I think we had a baptism that day. We're shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open. Maybe we would expect that. And everybody's chains came loose. I would not expect that from an earthquake. And they stayed where they were. That I definitely would not expect. Don't you think God is at work here? I think so. So at once all the prison doors were open, chains came off, the jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and he's about to kill himself. So he's got the sword and he's just about to jam it in. So this is down to the wire. Don't they say that preachers should be minute men? Need to say the right thing at the right time? Well, we have one in Paul. Paul shouted, don't harm yourself! We are all here! The jailer called for lights. He rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he asked, sirs, didn't that slave girl say these men are preaching the way of salvation? Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Oh, preachers love to hear that. That is music 
to their ears. That is worth all the beatings and the abuse to hear somebody saying these words. And how did they reply? Got to get circumcised. Got to keep all the food laws. Got to keep all the laws of Moses, including the entire ceremonial system. No. They replied, as you should reply, and I should reply, believe, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, I would expect that this jailer knows zip about Jesus. So they're summarizing very briefly, very quickly. This man's about to kill himself. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be saved and your household. But then as he pulls the knife away, he needs further explanation. They spoke the word of the Lord to him, spelled it out, must have shared something of the life of Jesus. Probably not very much on the life of Jesus Christ, but tell them something about Jesus. Most importantly, the cross, the resurrection, the significance of the death of Jesus on the cross. God uh, corroborating that, affirming that, putting his stamp of approval by resurrecting him from the dead. Maybe Jesus as high priest wouldn't be surprised if they said something about that, coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. But anyway, whatever it was, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house, further instruction. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and his whole family were baptized. I bet it hurt just to baptize them. But you kind of forget the pain, don't you, ladies, when you see birth? At least that's what they tell me. I don't really want to find out. <laughs> the whole family were baptized. The jailer brought them out, them to his house, set a meal before them, and was filled with joy. Here's how I know he's a believer, because he had come to believe in God. That is one of the great qualities of a converted person. They are filled with joy. He and his whole family. What a great story. So there, in a sense, is our third conversion, Lydia and her household, the slave girl, and clearly the jailer and his household. Now, the story doesn't end there because you have Paul and Silas that have been abused, terribly abused, and you have a fledgling group of people who are believers. If the impression is left that these were Jewish apostates who were bringing a, a message that was tainted with evil spirits, not good for those few believers that are left behind. So how does Paul react to this situation? It says in verse 35, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. And so the jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Good news. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly with our trial, even though we are Roman citizens. They threw us into prison, and now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. And I would suggest to you he's doing this primarily for the sake of the believers that are going to be left behind. 
So the officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They were petrified. You could lose your position as magistrate by doing what they had just done without proper examination. You just don't treat Roman citizens this way. So they came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. And after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house. So here's Lydia again and her house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. What a great story. So much action, hearts being opened, uh, young lady being released from demonic possession, and this rough and ready jailer getting saved. In between it all, you have these holy men of God, because that's what they were. Yes, they could disagree on certain things. Paul, Barnabas, they were thick. They were close, but they still disagreed. Does that happen sometimes in the Anderson Church? Not with me, by the way, but we need to disagree, but not do it disagreeably. The honor of God is at stake. There are some things that we disagree on that we just don't seem to be able to come to a meeting of the minds, but God, through His Spirit, is able to get us eventually where we need to go. And hey, out of this came not one missionary group, but two. So the work was spread. Barnabas doing his thing with John Mark in, in Cyprus. John Mark maturing, growing up, eventually becoming a, a real blessing in the early Christian church. And on the other hand, Paul, Silas, and Timothy going off uh, to another part of the world. Meanwhile, the kingdom of God spreads. That's the message that Luke wants us to get. And he's writing this to a man called Theophilus and trying to show him how Christianity, the message of Christ, is a credible message. And it is a credible message, and it's a message that is life-changing. Don't turn Christianity into a bunch of do's and don'ts. Don't turn it even into a set of beliefs. As important as that can be, that's not the heart of Christianity. The heart of Christianity is changed lives. Lydia and her household, the slave girl, the jailer, and his household changed lives. The Spirit of God is at work today in the 21st century. By the way, has Jesus come back yet? No. So we still have a work to do, right? You and me according to our gifts, according to the doors that open and the doors that close, always wanting to please the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that your kingdom spread to Europe, and eventually it will end up in Rome. But before Paul reach, re reaches Rome, he will go through much tribulation. But despite all of the negative things that Satan threw at the church, you had a plan, you had a purpose, and your will was done. Lord, may that be so in our lives today. We too are attacked by Satan. Sometimes we take our eyes off Jesus. Help us to maybe read the book of Philippians and where Paul tells us to rejoice, to rejoice always, even when we are abused and mistreated. 
We thank you, Lord, for changed lives, not just for our lives that have been changed, but the lives that you want to change in our neighborhood, in our community. Uh, may that be so, Lord. We thank you for Chris and George, who recently joined uh, your family here at, at Anderson. Bring many others to us, Lord, and may we treat them with the utmost respect as we would treat the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our prayer in his name. Amen.